Welcome to the Odelay Show with C.G. Brazewell for February 18th, 2016. Today the guest is Barry Hess. Again, Mr. Hess was the state of Arizona's Libertarian Party gubernatorial candidate a number of times in 2002 and 2006 and 2010 and 2014, which was when we I last had him on the Odelay Show. Um... Welcome to the show, Barry. Well, thanks for having me, Chris. I appreciate it. Always uh, uh, my pleasure, and the listeners, I'm sure, enjoy uh, your sage and level-headed perspective. Barry was a libertarian candidate for, am I betraying a bias there, was a libertarian candidate for president of the United States in 2008 and for the United States Senate in the year 2000. Mr. Hess has been a Libertarian Party member since 1987. Um, In 2010, he won the Libertarian primary in Arizona with almost 45% of the vote, and a gentleman named Bruce Olson uh, got about 25% that year. In that election, he faced Republican Party incumbent Jan Brewer, who succeeded... um, Napolitano. Napolitano, after Napolitano was called up to the United States presidential um, staff. Is that correct? Well, she was on, she's the Department of Homeland Security uh, appointment. Director of Homeland Security. Yeah, and she vacated her, um, her governorship where she'd been here for a while. And she was the governor when I was down here working for the Daily Press, in fact. Uh, anyway, uh, at also, so Jan Brewer just matriculated up, if if you will, into that position. She wasn't originally elected. And he also faced Mr. Hess in the 2010 election Democratic candidate, Terry Goddard, who was the former Arizona Secretary of State. Is that right? It's a Democrat. Right. And uh, Green Party candidate, Larry Guest. Who I, might... I, I'm, I apologize. Terry, I think it was the Attorney General. That's right. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, and I actually met him and interviewed him in person at one point. Um, very nice, nice guy, you know, and All guy. competent, competent, <laughs> like, you know, I mean, he's, he's, he doesn't care if he wins or loses. He's, he is a b- ostensibly operating in good faith, which is nice. Uh, and green candidate, green party candidate, Larry Guest in 2010, whom I've not met. Now, when we talked to you last, um, oh, and Mr. Hess's first novel, uh, which is, of the alternative history science fiction fantasy genre is titled The Peacemonger. His second one is forthcoming. I have added a question in here about your literary approach, if we can get to that today, because I'm writing novels too. When, Excellent. When you and I last had a conversation on this program, it was in between the primary and the general election of 2014 when you were the last time you ran for governor. Is that accurate? More yeah. or less? Okay. What, um, so how did that turn out? Can you, for those of us who have had our head in the ground, you know, stuck in the ground since then or have been busy, what's, uh, how did that, how did the numbers wind up for your 2014 governor campaign for Arizona? Well, we, we picked up at about 4%, uh, of the, of the overall in the general election. And it was interesting because, uh, we had, we had some libertarians who had come out against me. Uh, you know, which was really strange, and, and I really felt bad because it was the uh, the gay contingent 
who wanted me to use the rainbow flag as my campaign banner. And I, I tried to explain, you know, libertarians aren't pro-gay. We're pro-equal and nothing else. We're not hmm. pro-women. We're not pro-men. We're not pro-anything but equal. Uh, and that's where I think it gets to be a hard thing in politics because everybody wants you to slant your views their way. But uh, the, the, whole, the gay contingent, the funny thing was, I knew there was a lawsuit that was pending and that it would legalize gay marriage, and I knew it would become a non-issue during the campaign. Uh, now, I thought the, the decision would come down sooner than it did, but uh, it came down a couple months later, and just the same, it became a non-issue uh, very quickly. And I think that was a disappointment to me. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, they, they didn't, people would poke in. Libertarians will eat their own, as you know. Uh, they, they were picking apart little tiny things, well, one little tiny thing, uh, and they wanted me to come out and say that I was pro-abortion. And I'm certainly not pro-abortion. I'm pro-choice, it's true. But I'm not somebody who says, yeah, let's go out and have us an abortion uh, at all, because I, I respect human life. And so for those two things, I think what they did was they actually cost us probably our 5% yeah. uh, that we, you know, we, if you get 5%, you're automatically on the ballot. And I had just defeated, I put together the largest coalition of individuals uh, all across all parties when the Republicans tried to push libertarians off the ballot. Uh, I think it was 2305 might have been the bill. Mm -hmm. And it was a sleazy little thing uh, they tried to do. Well, what I year was that where if someone wanted to go look at the 2305, what? what, what 2012. 2012 state legislature. And uh, they, they had middle, middle of the night. Jan Brewer signed it literally in the middle of the night with 16 or 18 uh, advocates uh, for this is all she could muster to get this thing pushed through in the middle of the night. Well, that kind of made me angry. Uh, so I started calling everybody I knew, and, and Terry Goddard was part of it, by the way. Um, the, we had the Democrats, the Greens, we had the, the super liberals, the super conservatives, the Tea Party, most of the Republican Party. And we put together this coalition that was so incredible. Now, keep in mind, we have what's called a citizen's initiative here in Arizona. And that means the citizens, we get enough petition signatures, which they said at 86,000, by the way, yeah. uh, it, just to make sure that nobody could ever achieve it. Well, there's been 30 attempts in the last 35 years. Not one of them was successful. And what we did is we put together uh, all these people. We got all the signatures, and it was freaking the Republicans out to the point where the first time in, in 35 years... We put this, this whole group together. We turned in over 147,000 signatures, and it blew the Republican little cabal. They're just a little group of 13 people. That's what it was uh, that want to control Arizona, and it blew them out of the water. So you know what they did, Chris? Immediately after the Christmas recess, those same 13 Republicans who voted to get us off the ballot repealed their own law mm. within just a couple of months because they knew if it had gone to the ballot in November, this last uh, November a year ago, uh, that they would have been blown away and the Republicans would have lost all credibility. And, and, and we managed to overcome that, which was a great victory. 
but then, you know, of course, the Libertarian Party let down, and I just decided I just wanted to take some time off, so I withdrew my name uh, from any you know, consideration mm. uh, as vice chair of the Arizona Liber- Libertarian Party again, and, and I just said, okay, you guys handle it, and they didn't, and incidentally, the Republicans put every provision that I had made sure was repealed back on, back on, in the law book. You mentioned last time we had our uh, interview, your 173,000 signatures, and that's really valuable. After having ran ostensibly a, an exploratory campaign when I was living up in Phoenix for state senate, I, I, I endeavored it far too late in the process. There was no way I was going to get enough signatures. I did it on the Democrat ticket. Um, but that's a lot difficult to get that many signatures. The fact that you can come up with that many that quickly um, in terms of little d democratic um, uh, function, that's really amazing. Oh, oh the, the Democrats <laughs> were the biggest help imaginable wow. through all of this. That's a lot. I'm truly grateful. I didn't know there were that many literate people in Arizona, Barry. I mean, oh, is that a cynical thing to say? Iceberg. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is that the Republicans had actually started Carl Rove and his group. I understand they put a half a million dollars into this effort uh, to defeat our referendum to get the signatures. They actually stooped to the level of trying to, well, they did buy some of the petitions that our petitioners, you know, we pay the petitioners so much uh, per signature to get those signatures. They were doubling. The Republicans doubled the price to try and buy those signatures back from our petitioners. I mean, you talk about low lives. This was the <coughs> most incredible thing I'd ever seen. Uh, Wild West politics, but we blew them out of the water anyway. In fact, on on the last day, I probably told you it was uh, September 10th was the day we had to turn them in, or September uh, 12th mm-hmm. was the day was the final day. And I found out, a friend of mine called me from the Republican Party and said, Barry, what they're going to do is they're going to shut down the Secretary of State's office so that you cannot turn in your signatures. And we had boxes that would fill a room full of signatures. And so we knew there was a leak in our little group. And so what I did, I called the very closest of people and said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have, we're going to hand them in a day early, which by coincidence was 9-11, mm-hmm. which gave us, when, our, when we gave our little speeches, it only added to the mix in a very good way. Yeah. And uh, it just completely caught the Republicans off guard. It blew them away. These, these guys are so easy uh, that it's, uh, it's amazing. But they're also very dangerous. Well, I mentioned, the, I used the word cynical earlier, and I think it's leadership, even, I mean, uh, you know, one's, if one's faith in humanity gets so, you know, t- overtaxed, that that's, that's what can happen among um, people who are political fatalists like this. You know, it's almost, their, their cynicism grows to such an extent where it gets in their own way of governorship, even if, of governing, even if maybe they might have started out in good faith. I have this question for you regarding um, partisan politics. You know, down here, I haven't registered with a party since I, I moved into a different county in Arizona um, uh, about 18 months ago or something like that. And um, I haven't registered. I'm an independent here. I think, if, in my view, if someone can is able to do that, it's because I'm a journalist, okay? 
uh-huh. and and I'm a I'm a I am a a utopian constitutionalist. That is, I'd like to in a perfect world where, you know, in good faith, the libertarian principles of the founding uh, documents of this nation were adhered to in good faith. So, like, I don't. I feel like that partisan politics. I mean, I understand why there's safety in numbers, but I and I understand why in certain vocational walks one you know it's certainly easier to be part of a group um but i i I, you know and i'd also like to run for i mean i'd also like to end up i also i mentioned the senate uh exploratory campaign for state senate that year i was also a write-in candidate um for in palmer precinct in phoenix but i moved right before the election i called the recorder and said never mind i'm leaving i'm going down to kutchies county um, mm-hmm. so all I would have had to do is essentially write myself in cause there was no, there was no, there was a vacuum in, in the committee in Palm Air. Um, you can't, one cannot, however, the precinct committee protocol is a creature of the parties. Does the libertarian party have, can I, that, you know, so my question now is I'm still an independent down here. It does have bearing on what my primary ballot's going to look like if I'm not registered with a particular party or another. Um, uh, I mean, I can understand why someone would determine to, if they really needed to get into office and the local partisans were like, look, just get on the GOP and we try to get you elected so we can have somebody who can read and knows how to take a bath sitting at the county supervisor's desk. Or democratically, if you don't care, you're going to you know, lose and you know, it just doesn't matter. The point is you want to be heard. In terms of Libertarian Party, I mean, I, I suppose that's an option. People, if, if they want to become involved in local politics, at least as often as not, if you go look at the, at, at the, at the local documents in the county, there either isn't anyone from one or another party who's a precinct committee person in the very precinct where you live. How would you advise, as, a mem- as, a, as, as someone affiliated with the Libertarian Party of Arizona, that people go about writing themselves in as precinct committee person as an an independent uh what you can do well as anything well and remember as an independent i'm holding my cards as long as i can as an independent but this is it this is this is one way forward i'm sorry i interrupted you go ahead yeah no problem uh but what you can do is is you can run as a a a write-in for any under any banner or no banner as long as you get enough signatures in the primary that would have qualified you to run uh, on in your signature. So it alleviates the signature requirement for you, but you then have to get everybody to actually take your name with you with them down to the voting booth uh, and write you in, but then you'll be on the general ballot. We've done that hundreds of times, uh, in fact, just to mess people up. Because we know we've got a fairly tight group of libertarians that we can count on, a good base, who will turn out to vote, and, and we can get those votes without even uh, getting signatures, which really just annoys the Republicans and Democrats, because they could never do that. Right. And uh, so you could get on as an independent, uh, you know, in any, and I don't care what political party people are in. Uh, believe me, I know people in every single party in state and national levels and not one of them uh, really cares about their party mm-hmm. um, because they just want to get in because most of them are sick people who think they can control other people. 
and and they well, just, and they can matter. to the degree that when you involve your when one involves oneself with a group of people, to 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 some extent or another, there's a certain gamble going on, and you've had to hedge with a group of people where compromises occur either intentionally or accidentally. That's why it's important politically what groups one is involved with, so that you don't send you know implicitly the wrong message or essentially support the wrong group so you know and so that can happen and it does matter i mean i understand in a local sense like okay how can i get in you know the the station how do i get an office but it does matter um because you you know it ends up things get legislated for you without your knowing it like it matters like politics matters like it it matters what who i'm affiliated with and then certain things happen, and as a result of human nature being kind of, kind of collectivized. Um, I don't know. Uh, well, you know, I I started out. I came into politics. I worked for Ronald Reagan. I was a Republican. I was born a Republican in a Republican family in a Republican state, and I thought, sure, we were the good guys because that's the way I was brought up, and that's what everything I was told. Uh, when I saw through the ruse, and, and I realized the Republican Party was no longer Republican, uh, then I went to the, the safe ground, and it wasn't independent. I mean, I don't want people to think that I don't have an opinion, mm-hmm. or that, you know, I, it's just about me, which is really kind of what independent talks about. Uh, when you see an independent candidate running, it's all personality-driven, like Ross Perot, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the sad thing is, is that if that person died, uh, what, you would have no one to lead the party because it's all very personality driven. Right. Their, their idea of the world has no reference uh, either in documents or legitimacy. Um, and so I took, the, I took what I found out that I was, I didn't know I was a libertarian all of my life, mm-hmm. but I really was. And that's why I started to see the rub in the Republican Party. I thought, well, why would we want to get an advantage, an unfair advantage over the Democrats, which was always the big deal. And I thought, why, why not just put our issues on the table and let the people decide? Well, that's the last thing people want to do in politics. Well, personality matters, definitely matters. And I think that as much as we can hearken back to that fundamentally in 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 america where individualism is and of all places arizona individualism really matters and it does uh, you know because at the end of the day regardless of any misinterpretation by a court uh um the incumbency to power it lies with the individual citizen okay sure it does so the the partisan you know partisanry is an interesting tool so is the currency i i i would confide in you that sometimes people misuse these tools uh, the, the, um, what's going on in the, this year's election, Barry, with the libertarians here in the state or maybe at the national le- level, sir? Well, at the national level, uh, we start to see there's a lot of interest in using our platform, uh, to get on the ballot. You know, that, you know, that Jesse is, Jesse Ventura is, is rumbling again. He's sort of like our Joe Arpaio. Uh, <laughs> you know, he says he's going to run 50,000 times and he never does, um, but for governor. And uh, th- but in the presidential, he's in Minnesota. Is that correct? He's in the great state of Minnesota. Is that accurate? Or is he Michigan? Uh, he's actually he lives in Mexico now. Really? Well, there you have it. 
He yeah. is he has turned against the government here. He sees all, he's seen all the the dirty, slimy stuff that goes in and the control of legislators uh, and how it works. And it's all money and and people try, you know threatening to ruin your life with dragging out some kind of bad stuff. And they've had a really difficult time with me, which I'm very proud of. Uh, you know, they, they, the only press they've come, they've been able to criticize me is, is when they've distorted or misquoted me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why. That, and, and I have to laugh at that because I, I meet, I know all the news people here, and, and they know, but they'll go ahead and print the other stuff, the lies, on purpose just to sway the election because people don't realize the old media and and that's not like this this is alternative media the old media is totally controlled by the republican democrat team and and if anybody thinks they don't work together they are naive uh, because they do work together and you know it's it's sort of like the two people say okay here's what here's what we're going to present to the public you tell them you'll kick them once and i'll tell them i'll kick them twice And you know, and that's really their, what they argue between each other is they say the other guy's going to kick you twice. I'm only going to kick you once. That's there's some, uh, that's and, called there's an old uh, good cop bad cop. You know, I, and I've always said, well, the Republicans say I'm only going to kick you one, or I'm only I'm going to kick you twice, but I'm only going to steal a nickel. Well, the Democrats they're going to kick you twice, or they're only going to kick you once, but they're going to take a they want a dime. So Jesse Ventura has moved to Mexico. Um, yes. What state in Mexico do we know? Is I he down know. here in Sonora? He he could be just thirty minutes from my house. I have no I I don't know. I, okay. I know he's he's very very secretive about where he is. I okay. know he's on the beach. Um, yeah, I would be down the beach. Yeah, it would be. I suspect he's probably got the. Uh, he's probably would that lifestyle as an athlete. He's probably kind of an outdoorsy resort type of area. I invited him on the show. He didn't. He didn't answer. I should try again. Um, yeah. And speaking of the the Phoenix Press, say hello to Howie for me. I like Howie. He I just is, saw Howie yesterday. He is a legitimate reporter. <laughs> well, nobody knows which way he's going to go whenever he writes. His That's stuff. funny about the truth, isn't it? Uh-huh. <laughs> it, it? The truth could be anything, really, when you get off the, and, the and, talking points. Yeah. We were. It's funny because I was talking with some of the other the political people. Uh, we were doing a press conference down at the Capitol Tuesday, and uh, Howie was there. And uh, it was funny because we were talking about him, saying, you know, the one thing about Howie is he can get squirrely and he can get vicious and and he can he can you know really reach down into the low life things on occasion. But as a general overall rule, he he actually can go any way. Yeah. And so. So that's a good thing. Well, he seems you know, to know. I mean, it, by all accounts and by all observation, he quite evidently knows his job and makes, you know, and attempts at all, at all reasonable costs to do it. The gentleman from Mesa, who was interested in the governorship, he was a uh, he was brass. He was city leadership over in Mesa. Do you? Uh, and Scott I was, Smith. huh? He was the mayor. Scott Smith. He yes, was the he, he was the mayor, I guess, of Mesa. And I was when I was in in the brief run through I had in the Phoenix Press Corps. He was up at uh, Ken Bennett's office, um, filing his mayoral excuse me filing his gubernatorial campaign paperwork on the Republican ticket. And I only had a, one question for him, time wise, you know, because there was a full press gangbang as it is colloquially called. 
<clears throat> and uh, so all I could think of, all I could think of to ask him, the only best question I could ask him is if he'd ever read Leviathan by Thomas Hobbes. <laughs> I don't really remember oh, what the answer was, but he didn't say no. Um, I had a question for him because part of his plan, uh, you know, what he he you know his bragging points was that he had brought I think Apple computer uh, over to Mesa mm. and a thousand jobs with it, and he did that. I remember asking him, saying, Scott, how did, how did you get them to come over? And he hedged, and I said, well, let me tell you how you got them over. You gave them 10 years of free taxes yeah. in order to encourage them to come into Mesa and bring these jobs with them here, and we're in the midst of a depression. Yeah. And he said, well, well, yeah. And I said, why didn't you eliminate the taxes for all businesses so that the entire city could grow? Yeah. And he shut up, and he walked away. Well, that's what one would do if one, that's what you would do if you were the mayor, you know, if you could, if you were in Mesa. I've heard you say it before, and we're going to talk about taxes here in a short bit. Before we move on from the 2016 election, um, and we should, um, any, any names from the party, or shall we make an example by letting the individual Libertarian Party members speak for themselves as the 2016 election draws near? Oh, I, you you can't you, you really can't pre-pick libertarians uh, because you know you're dealing with some extremely intelligent people who have made a conscious decision to take a stand. I mean, there, there's something to be said about just signing up as a libertarian gives you it should give you street cred with anybody. Are you saying it's different than the selection of say a Supreme Court justice? You're saying it's less predictable. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, the Supreme Court justice, we were laughing, you know, and not about Judge Scalia dying, and that was unfortunate, uh, you know, and of course all the conspiracy crap that's coming around. A Catholic but, uh, Judge Scalia. Pardon me? A Judge Scalia, uh, is, was a, if, since we're discussing philosophy now, um, and changing, yeah. a changing uh, a non-secular state, he was a Catholic. Is or was depends on how you describe, how you define death. But go ahead. Yeah, he uh, with that whole thing. Uh, I know. I knew that night when we heard the news uh, that uh, his his successor, Obama's already picked somebody he wants to put in, and Obama's really pissed because that's what Obama wants to be. He wants to get on the Supreme Court, um, and no question about it. So here he is faced with the problem of, damn, I've got to fill the vacancy, the only vacancy that looks like it's going to come up for several years. Wouldn't you like I've to be on the Supreme that. Court, Barry? You hold a, a an attorney. You hold a J.D., a Juris Doctor. I, I would have. Uh, I, I think it'd be fun, but you know what would be difficult for me is having to show up to work every day. Yeah, that's uh, In an office. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, that's not part of my lifestyle. Tough for a novelist. In a, in a, uh, in a, yeah, and uh, I was willing to do that as a governor. <laughs> I'm willing to do it. Uh, people don't realize. I think of it as self-sacrifice that I'm willing to put my time into this because I could certainly avoid all of it uh, if I wanted to. But I don't know what it is. You know, people say, why do you run? And, and I honestly cannot give an answer. There's just something inside of, a, of those people who are touched that you can't not be part of the solution. Well, one good answer for that is, for why do you run, is that organic growth hurts, you know, but you got to do something. <laughs> well, it, it, it's, it's interesting because politics is all over the board. Right now, Republicans are scared. You, you talk to, I talk to all the candidates and stuff, 
and they are so scared that you know what they thought was the the sure way to get in office was to join one of the big teams um, and and gain favor. The problem they find out is that in order to gain favor with the big guys, uh, the big you know Republicans and Democrats, uh, that they've got to compromise their personal integrity. They've got to compromise on all these different things that shouldn't be. It works against the very notion of being an honest representative. And, and that's what I think there are a lot of Republicans in particular who would love to become libertarians. Most of them say they lean libertarian, and I correct them very quickly, saying there's no such thing as leaning libertarian. That's sort of like saying I'm completely honest most of the time which brings us to the philosophical questions of of today Uh, so you know we we have listeners we can't know who all is listening to us that's the beauty one of the beauties of this medium it's like dancing in the dark that's why the feds are the only ones you know well (laughs) we're u.s citizens we're the feds uh you know but i mean other people you know come one come all and listen to the show um so yeah so what's so civil rights and civil liberties? Okay, mm-hmm. are they the same thing? What are they? What are those from a, in it from a, from a, and I mentioned when I introduced you, I asked, "Am I betraying a bias?" I'm interested in this sort of thing because I want to be me. I want to think for myself, and I want to stay alive. Um, so that's the sort of bias I have towards libertarian principles politically. I'm going to come sniffing around if there's a party named the Libertarians for sure. Um, sure, of course. So, because, so well, civil rights and civil liberties. Talk to me about that. That's a that's a that's a that's a that's a elementary question. But we reset for our listenership who who may just have tuned in or just just may have just woke up and graduated from high school. <laughs> well, there's, there is a distinct difference. A, a right is something you are inherently born with. Now, it's not something that can impose on other people. It's, those are just things that you have an absolute right to, the right to self-defense, which translates through the Second Amendment, for instance. You have an absolute right to protect your physical person and your property. That is a right, and no one can take, you, take it away from you. No one can legislate it away. It's there underlying everything, and that's what our Declaration of Independence espoused, were those principles that's where libertarianism comes from is from the declaration of independence and what those things are recognized that every human being when they're born they have these rights you can't hurt them you can't attack them you you know you can't steal from them uh, those are the kinds of those are actual rights mm-hmm. and people often confuse what is a right a right to health care that is the stupidest thing i've ever heard in my life because just the idea of getting care as a right automatically imposes a, a duty on health care providers to give it to you for free, no less, um, which is in itself absurd because you would create a slave class by all this stupidity. All now, medicine, it could be arguably said from certain perspectives, all medicine that works can only be con- categorized as preventative operational maintenance arguably okay I, that's fine um, which is to say if you go around you know doing bad things for your health then is it really failure to stop and render aid if no one can no one wants to give you a transfusion you know 
Well, you know, in a very technical sense, yeah. But but we are also human beings, and we really do have the the compassion of the heart that we're not going to let people starve. People say, well, you libertarians, you want to get rid of all the welfare and the entitlements and everything. And yes, of course we do. Mm. But they go, well, that's going to leave a lot of people who are going to die. And I see proof of that. I see proof of the human spirit and its altruism among most of the first responders who I've worked with in the past because they're all typically very healthy people, you know, to a fault nearly, if you could call it that. Um, and when, well, who are you talking about? Firefighters and the like. Um, right, you're talking steroids, though. Well, no, 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 no. I'm talking people who oh, are, you are athlete, professional athletes, military people. Um, you know, firefighters who have, who have, who are basically that. You know, they live and breathe fitness, and their job, if you know, if their job is to be a first responder. Ninety nine point ninety nine percent of the people they deal with, they can triage from twenty yards away. You know, they know, oh, man, you know, because they just come to realize how people's health fails in modern society. And it's largely from their perspective, it's, well, they've not been taking care of themselves, judging by the looks of them in the following ways for the past 20 years. The, um, the Second Amendment you mentioned, notice how it comes after the First Amendment. Now, an interesting observation that I would make, physical protection you mentioned, okay, Mm-hmm. Interesting enough that Second Amendment comes of right to keep and bear arms comes after the First Amendment immediately, which encompasses right. all of the kind of intellectual rights, you know, that are you know, a, apart from or a high, of higher order, more complex situation than just physical protection, freedom of assembly, which is where I kind of open and closed would open and close the issue of homophobia, freedom of the right. press, freedom of religion or from religion. Um, those are the things that appear to have been, by the authors of the Bill of Rights philosophies, worth protecting with lethal force. And those are ideals. Those aren't just the homestead and your physical real property and your personal biomechanism right the way i've always said it is the second amendment was purposely placed as backup in case the first amendment didn't get the job done Mm -hmm. because we're supposed to have a representative government and we don't Mm -hmm. we have we have a bunch of guys and gals down there making deals and when you say uh, representative government what do you mean by that do you mean other people represent us or do you mean that the individual citizen represents the government in its full faculty I, I actually meant those people in office are said to represent you and I in their districts or their different geographical locations okay. uh, in, in the functioning of government. But it doesn't work that way. We are in Soviet politics was my specialty in university. Soviet politics? And it, yes. Okay. And it was funny. That was Fordham University, is that correct, Mr. Hess? That is correct. Okay. And um, I saw very quickly that we, the U.S., has become the old Soviet Union in every way. The only <laughs> difference is our stuff is shinier. Yeah, that's well, about it. Um, and it, other than that, that's why we're seeing this economic implosion is because so many promises have been made to give money out uh, to different groups and labelings of people 
so that they can so that a politician can garner votes is the whole reason they do that. Mm. Um, but you start seeing that it's all a big mishmash anymore. It doesn't matter. There are no uh, political philosophies except for the libertarians, and we cling to it. And I'm very proud to say it's the oldest political philosophy on this continent. It started with the Declaration of Independence, remember, and it has remained completely unchanged. There is no such thing as a breathing, living document when they talk about the Constitution. The Constitution is supposed to reflect those ideals and principles uh, in, in the Declaration of Independence. And inasmuch as they don't, those laws are illegal, and they should be. And as we all know, that 50%, uh, you know, we've always heard that half the laws on the books are unconstitutional. You've heard that, well, right? At least half. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't have to be, I don't have to be, hear it to, to know it. <laughs> okay, well, most people would acknowledge that without any fight or hassle at all. And so that I would say that the only way that a thinking voter would actually cast their vote and take responsibility for their vote and realize it can be important, the, the only thing you can do is vote for equal. Equal is where the game has to end up, or else you're going to have constant fights. Well, and, and if, if the statute is so off the mark half the time, let's just use the number that you suggest, that's why, I mean, voting is important so that you can have oversight with respect to who is supposed to be representing you. Therefore, about half the time, one individual citizen is going to have to function, as I mentioned earlier, more or less representative as of the full uh, mechanism of, of, of government at the individual level. That's why that's the difference between uh, the ledger domain of monarchies where none of the subjects could ever, no matter what the circumstance implement the function of the government executive um, here by the same rights that our representatives who are in popularly elected or however they're elected and sent to the state capital or the nation's capital to sit by that same philosophical mechanism the sword cuts both ways we also individually have every bit of power that they have that's not where one is higher than the other. That's why I brought up what I said earlier. And that's, of course, the right. basis of, of kind of... That's something that I'm pretty hardwired to, you know, I, I find to be pretty much unimpeachable philosophically. That's what I like about that. And you're talking about uh, a living document, and that's a rhetorical term that's used in interpretation of the courts. And you and I have talked about court interpretation and disconnects from... <laughs> Before, well, I think what is meant by what people are mean to mean by that, and probably how it was originally turned as a phrase, is that it, uh, it's supposed to be an axiom. You know, constitution. It's it's like a it's like a forensic tool. Apply the the protocols of the the constitution to it in the Bill of Rights, and see. How it shakes out. View it in the context of the libertarian principles, uh, um, little l, little libertarian principles that went into the drafting of the Constitution and, 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 the, and the Bill of Rights. Notwithstanding that there was equivocation allowing slave ownership in the Constitution. No one's saying it's perfect. But it was an effort at making a 
a sound philosophical document that any individual citizen who is literate enough to understand and read the Constitution and get it can, because oh, they know that it's a far-flung, basically continent-wide settlement, you know, that was a British settlement, if you will, people are going to have to be governing themselves. You can't call down the hotline from Lewis and Clark can't call because they got a splinter and the police come. You know, they can't call because they met a group of Indians and they need they need political quarter to negotiate with somebody. Right, Native right. Americans. Well, my, my whole point uh, about the the unconstitutionality of laws is that if a responsible citizen is going to vote, they should be voting for the candidate who doesn't, and not necessarily promises what they're going to do uh, in, in terms of new projects and new spending and all that. What the people should be looking for are the honest politicians, and you can tell them because they're the ones who are not promising what they will do, they're promising what they will undo. How many rocks will they take out of the citizens' backpack that have already been placed there by things like the Patriot Act or NDAA or all these other nonsensical little groups that they say that you are automatically part of? And I'm not part of those groups. Yeah. I don't support those things. So that that's where people should be voting, because I, I think voting can be a very effective tool uh, now, they've controlled it, and, and trust me, I've been in six different lawsuits here in Arizona regarding vote-counting fraud. Mm-hmm. We have won every single case. Nothing who are the changed. culprits, typically, or the defeating? Uh, who, who is it? Who's doing that? Well, the city council of Tucson, for instance, uh, spending bills. And they're, just, they're lying about the vote tallies. Jeez. And you can usually tell it where they have shaved the votes, uh, because they, they can only go a few percentages either way before you know, somebody starts to really notice. But they can throw elections, and they have. And here's something that's really interesting, is in Arizona, the vast majority of spending bills have passed, but they've passed with a unique percentage, 51 to 49%. Now, the odds of that happening are so phenomenal They shouldn't even be considered a potential for being real or honest, Mm. because there's just no way. There's simply no way that half the people have, you know, 1% separates them on so many issues. It's just silly, but that's how the game is played. And they'll shave it a few points here, a few points there, uh, and say, okay, we won. And and who's going to question it? Because it's illegal to compare the actual ballots cast with the um, spit-out, the printout yeah. from the machines. Yeah. You can't actually do a hand count here in Arizona. And, uh, in fact, we got with the Democrats to force one at some point, and uh, I said, okay, let's go for a 100% hand count, just like they do in Canada. Yeah. So the, the media won't be able to report who won that night, yeah. which is the whole reason that they actually you know, run up all these estimates. Uh, and give that, but if they wait, because many times I know I've seen my my final vote tallies haven't been made public for two and three months after an election. Mm -hmm. They just keep dripping in, and if you go over to the Secretary of State's page, you can see every day the numbers go up, because they they found a few more, they found some over there, you know, that kind of thing. Who else, who else besides the city of Tucson has been uh, found adjudicated in court to have been 
operating in bad faith with tallying the votes or doing it wrong intentionally. There's a bunch of, uh, I mean, there are a bunch of little municipalities. I would have a, have a hard time, you know. Anything at the, anything at the state level? Oh, absolutely. We had a legislative race. Uh, what was his name? Oh, boy, down in Ahwatukee, John something. Uh, but, but there was like a 565-vote difference, which re- made all the difference in the world. We raised a big stink. The FBI came in and took the ballots. To protect them, supposedly. And I remember a friend of mine, Ernest Hancock, saying, we will never see those ballots again. And he was absolutely right. Nothing at all. Um, Heyerdahl, or whatever his name was. Um, but they just they just stole the election. And it, it, right out in front of God and everybody. What do you think about Florida back in 2000? And the intervention, oh, wow. speaking of Justice Scalia, speaking of uh, intervening in a... a an election, the presidential uh, recount that was uh-huh. blocked by the Supreme Court down in Florida, which determined the outcome of the 2000 election, presidential election. What do right. you think of that? Well, you know, it, it happened in Scalia. Scalia was, you know, you start seeing how, how good somebody was once they're gone. Uh, and Scalia actually had some fairly well-reasoned, I, I agreed with a lot of what his, his decisions or his dissents were, um, I, I think he's a real loss to the American people. Mm-hmm. I mean, as far as the quality of character, but but there's also a political bias involved too. They're forced into it, and yeah. this is one of the things that scares me about the. Can President Obama appoint himself to the Supreme Court? You mentioned that earlier. I guess that's. I guess he could. I, I don't know. I, he, that's an interesting thought. I, Bo, he should. He can't serve two offices simultaneously. He could resign. <laughs> that wouldn't that be nice? He's well, nearly done. We have Joe Biden. He's done. He's got six months, maybe that long. Well, right. I mean, he's got to serve through the new year. Well, he's got his lame duck status. Status will go another another eleven months. So until uh, January nineteenth. Yeah. So we you I I brought up um, the two thousand election. I have a question here. I'll. Um, Regarding the War Party, this is Germain. The September 11 attacks of 2001 were 15 uh-huh. years ago, and I'm still under martial law, or we're still under martial law, or I was conscripted. Um, you know, or it's just a a, a product of me being a, a a journalist in the United States of America, and that has certain civil connotations, and it's unavoidable that I, that the lay of the land is what it is when I happen to be during my haymaking years, but. When or if might we go back to a peacetime mode of operation? Um, it's been 15 years since since the the terrorist attacks on uh, the the World Trade Center in uh, New York City and on the Pentagon building, etc. Um, or, you know, aren't we? Um, am I now having been a wartime, you know, a journalist during wartime and? In America, during right after the turn of the 21st century, it's never going to be the same to me, <laughs> for or my children forever. Or um, what other sort of like that particular high? Uh, what other historical cycles can I or we, the citizenry, expect? Uh, you know, is the surveillance state here to say? I mean, and, you, and I and I, I segue into to this from the George W. Bush question. He was unequivocally a wartime president, right? 
And, and, and as a libertarian, if and you should read that, he did a great job as a wartime president. That's what a wartime president. You would, you know, you, what you think about war. You want one like, I suppose, you want one like that. You know. Now, see, I'm I'm actually of the opposite opinion. Uh, I think George Bush was an idiot. Well, uh, you know, a, a total idiot. Uh, but but then, he, and that's because I knew him personally. But uh, well, I'm just saying. I mean, he would make good cannon fodder. You know, he was, I mean, in terms of marketing, he was good, you know, uh-huh. I, I don't know, I didn't say that I thought he was, uh, you know, I, I'm not, I wasn't discussing his intellectual prowess. I mean, well, no, no, even as a wartime president, he was totally controlled. My so professor, I, my journalism professor at the University of North Texas, uh, Rick, uh, sorry, not Rick Mueller, that's the mayor here, Jim Mueller, wrote a book called Towel Snapping the Press. And it, okay. it, 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 was a, it was a volume of interviews about people from the Dallas media, people from the Austin media, and people from the national, you know, media, all all about the people who covered him during his baseball years with the Texas Rangers, and all about the people who covered him as governor of Texas, and then all you know, interviews with all the people who covered him as as he made his way into the presidential incumbency, and what changed and what didn't, and it really, I, you know, kind of bold-faced plug for my uh, faculty liaison from uh, book title, but it did a great job of actually looking at what in the hell was going on, and it does give a good fathom as to kind of what ley lines brought him to where he was in confluence with the the times that were occurring and to come after he took office in terms of the war. It well, pe- yeah, but it, did, it never had to happen. And I don't know that it ever would have happened if George Bush uh, had not become president. Sure. Well, all bar fights could have been resolved peacefully if you go back in time far enough and deal with it properly. Absolutely, because all war, there has never been a single case in history. And incidentally, the United States of America has been at war all but 27 years of its 237 years of existence. So the short answer is no, we're not going back to a time of peace. (laughs) <laughs> right. We're, uh, well, well if we sucks. get a libertarian in there, and if you read the book, you'll see where the character, there is a libertarian candidate who does uh, reach the presidency, and, and he does a very simple thing. <laughs> he declares peace on all of the world. Yeah. And I'm going to buy your book today. I've been, I've been looking at it. I was reading a little preview of it. I'm going to pick it up. I will. The, uh, oh, that's cool. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, the, uh, the, the interesting thing was is that what that would do, if the president just stood up today and said, okay, we've had enough, this is crazy, there's no sense in us meddling in foreign affairs of other countries, they're sovereign entities, it's none of our business, uh, so that we can get out of them and we withdraw all of our troops, do you realize that around the world, all of those nations who are dependent upon the American taxpayer to keep funding this, to keep the economies going through the war machine, uh, all of those would be faced with should we rebuild our own country or go attack the United States? And I'm telling you, they would, they would be working to repair and replace everything that we have destroyed uh, all over the Mideast, for instance, and we would forget they even existed because we don't need their oil. We, they have literally, they produce absolutely nothing except sand. I guess they could be in the silica business. Um, I'll get to that. There's a question about that coming right up. Yeah, they, the, the interesting thing is is that if we just walked out and said, we're done, we would set an example that would put the world into the most productive 
and progressive and not not politically progressive but the most progressive mode we've ever been in we would see a new industrial age uh, except it would be in terms of technology in a technology age where we would we could you and i could be splitting around on our hoverboards for crying out loud well, who says we're not already you know um, and I before I'll move on to a to an ecological uh, question, but before we leave this point for now, I will say that I find it difficult to mate while I'm being surveilled. <laughs> and yeah, I don't I don't like it. True. Stay it, out of my bedroom. Stay out of my life. Unless I hurt, harm, or or interfere with somebody else's rights or person, leave me alone. Um, Government is supposed to be our janitor. It is not our mother. Yeah. It's um, it's it's a it's an issue, and uh, the um, you know it it prostitutes uh, areas of the private marketplace that otherwise wouldn't be prostituted when there is uh, surveillance intact. Absolutely, and we know that historically, one hundred percent of the time, all phone companies forever have ended up being modes of surveillance now right um civilian intelligence notwithstanding and it's you know with due process there also happens to be due process required uh of congress and you know arguably you know very arguably you can get you can you could it's not hard to find a quorum after an attack on on domestic soil of 2011 where people have just had it but shit it's been 15 years you know, and, you know, so, and, the, you know, <clears throat> you know, phone companies notwithstanding. Um, well, you know, one of the things that people overlook in this whole N- NSA uh, surveillance thing, they're listening to every phone call, including judges, including politicians, including everybody. So in physics, as you know, in theoretical physics, Barry, it's it's proven that... An observed situation is affected by the observer. It is known. Yeah, your, your point's made. I, yeah. I get it. Uh, it's true. Just by looking at it, it interferes with the results. Uh, and that is fact. Yeah. But, the, you know, as people go take a look at this silliness, that we have evolved into a nation where everybody thinks their opinion on everything counts. And it doesn't. It doesn't count. And that's a hard thing because people have become so egotistical. It's undeserved arrogance is what it is. is and and the, the people of this country have been manipulated into thinking that we live in some sort of a direct democracy. Mm-hmm. And a democracy is so odious to the Constitution and to uh, the Declaration of Independence. It's amazing. We've got presidents who say that we're a democracy. And we have never been a democracy. We will never be a democracy. We may be de facto right now a democracy, but that's the, as Madison said, it is the most vile and vulgar form of government that there is. Well, the Constitution can protect people from democracy or de- in bad faith. That's the main thing, one of the main things, the individual libertarian principles inherent intrinsic to the bill of rights are there to protect from mob rule um so and that's what democracy is um i can also on the other hand and i mentioned uh subjectivity influencing and, and so that means that all policy 
and all government decisions get influenced by third-party observers who are only of an integrity you know that there's a there's you know they're not vetted by the public they're not incumbent leadership of government they're they're not they're spooks and they're also functioning as a a united states agency of one mode or another which by definition is only is you know it, it represents mine and your for example political will and no more than that and that's how we put that's how we prevent bureaucracy um from from taking control over individual political will uh that they by defining can. the bureaucracy as only as our political will at the same time as that i can also say i mean there are times when like um in a judiciary system when you have an in-camera situation where there has to be that's why you know because of the known subjectivity bias it's one of the oldest facts in government of in modern you know humanity is that there has to be forensic cover for for cloiture so that the the people who are put upon to govern in good faith can deal with the situation isolate it as any investigator must do in order to be non-biased in order to have their results not skew and you can't have people ogling there ha- the door has to be closed so i mean yes there's yeah. certainly a place for privacy in every walk of life whether you're investigating who which one of your children painted all over the walls with blue finger paint or who bombed what you know i mean there's obvious things that any cop on the street is you know or any journalist or any attorney they know it's kind of natural laws of information transfer any or any member of the media who knows all right this is going to be disseminated the file you know here's what we know i'm going to turn a phrase at Don Rumsfeld said, here's what we know, here's what we don't know, and here's what we don't know we don't know. Now, who cares what his part of his affiliation is? That's actually correct. Uh, you know, it, it, it's oversimple, but it's correct. And we're talking about, I was going to, do you want to hit that one more time before I jump to uh, uh, oil and gas? Oil and gas? <laughs> um, or ecological yeah, policy, funny. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that what we have to realize is that the whole function of government is to, of laws and legislation, is to issue monopolies. And those are given out to campaign contributors. Like why you cannot compete with a bank, for instance. Why you can't open your own bank uh, without being a member of their club. It is so closed. Um, but then you run into a situation where you're talking about, you know, coiture and all that kind of good stuff, which is basically just keeping secret. But in a, in a republic, a representative republic like we have, that you cannot have coiture. You cannot have that secrecy, even if it affects the outcome. You cannot have secrecy. Because when we were talking about the NSA listening to all the phone calls, if you think that government, that somebody there, now, and I'm talking about someone of ill will within the government, and if you don't think they exist, you're crazy, but the whole point is they would be able to find something to use against you. So now you're a United States Supreme Court justice, and a big issue is up before you, and then you're approached by someone who says, hey, you know, we've been listening to your calls and heard about you and your little whatever, your drug use, your pornography, or whatever. Uh, whatever they want to use against them, 
and we don't think you should vote this way. And it can be a representative. It can be the president. That's the danger that you run into, mm. is that coiture that you speak of and you say is so necessary, that's when it becomes the dangerous, dangerous kind of secret. That's why we cannot allow it, not in a free republic. Right. Well, the historical observation that I would make regarding that is that the result is, is that people aren't honest about themselves and their past. And I can tell you having, you know, in terms of recovery, um, if, you know, substance abuse recovery, traumatic situations recovery, and you know, a prostitution intercession, you know, people getting sure. back, you know, people getting people to realize that they've been abused by a system, a dead hand, you know, one of the, the first thing that needs to happen is for these victims to realize, oh my gosh, you know, and not only be able to admit to themselves, but be able to witness it to other people, you know, because, uh-huh. and, and so then there, it's just all this big secretive thing. Someone's going to use it. And there are, there are a few people who, who are out, you know, there's a, there's a, a stripe of people who, you know, kind of a hard ass about it. And well, I'm one of them. I'll secret, tell people about my past, friends. but I'm a public figure and a journalist. And like, like I've, I ex- actually have experienced a little bit of extra protection with respect to being frank and truthful about my past because of my vocation. So like, but the problem with that is, is that no one will admit. So you can't really give a good map of the territory to young people, for example, like, Hey, cause no one will talk about it. And that's how, right. that's how problem the bad, dark face of humanity rears itself over and over again in sociology. It's because of dishonesty or people taking advantage of it. And as far as I'm concerned, they're ancillary to the original crime. You know, if they're going to be, if they're, if they're creating an environment that basically generates a cooling effect on recovery. So. Okay, well, uh, you know, and that that's, uh, fits, but... Uh, but I mean, you, you know, just I said the same play. thing. I don't think we disagree. How do we deal with that in no. government? Is there a constitutional mechanism that protects people against, you know, what they did when they were in college or whatever? Like, can you, I guess you could... I mean, it's not slander or libel because it actually happened. What, right. what, what, what would you do? I mean, is there anything in the Bill of Rights that says, you know, a right to a history? Um, I do, no, I, there's not. You, you, what's, what's there is there. The yeah. truth stands on its own. It's got to. Yeah. Uh, you know, whatever was there, and people make mistakes. It's not like we're saying that the idea that any of us is perfect mm. or hasn't done something that somebody else would find odious or terrible or whatever. Um, it, because they do. I mean, I, you, I'll tell you what, you can go to church. I was brought up as a Wisconsin Synod Lutheran uh member of the church like garrison keeler i had other libertarian or other uh lutherans uh, which is where i was raised up um i had them telling me i was going to hell well and and i'm going well did you next time god has a message for me why don't you have him bring it directly rather than send you uh because it's just so stupid that they would presuppose that they could rebuke me for what they're their ideas were, mm-hmm. and and we've all suffered this, you know, misportrayed all over the place. I mean, and the press is, I get a, a hoot out of them because I, I have learned that when I'm dealing with the press, like in a press conference, I will give them three points, and that's it, and all I will do is repeat them because I know the press will try and distort your words every time they can if you're a libertarian. Mm-hmm. There is this bias against libertarians. I, don't, I mean, the Democrats are afraid of us. 
uh, as a general rule, and I'm talking leadership, by the way, uh, and the Republicans are afraid of us because we want to take away the Well, you know, it's sort of like I've always said, that we are the hobbits of the political world. Yep. And if you know anything about J.R.R. Tolkien's work, he was very, very libertarian. Uh-huh. And he understood, so he had to write in code, and that's what the whole story of the Trilogy of the Rings is about. But you had this nice little village, the Shire, all these little hobbit people running around, these are libertarians, just minding their own business, enjoying life, treating each other the way that they want to be treated. Mm. Well, they understood that this dark cloud was coming over all of the world, and there was no way they could exempt themselves from that dark cloud and just be left alone, mm-hmm. which is the cry of the libertarian, just leave me alone. Um, and th- so that what they had to do was these peaceful little critters went out on a mission risking life, limb, fortune, everything, their whole future, in order they realized that for them to be free, they had to make sure the rest of the world was free. So they went out to capture this ring of power, the, the power ring. Now, people who have read the stories, and most of us are familiar with them, have to understand the hobbits didn't want the ring of power. They wanted to get the ring of power, the one that controls other people, so that they could throw it into the depths of Mordor, so that nobody, not even them, could have the ring of power. For the listener, the depths of Mordor is a big burning, churning, underground sea of lava where the ring would be gone forever. <laughs> that's what it was. And, and that's what it is. It is a real-life metaphor. Uh, and so it's kind of interesting when you start seeing some of these people, Alice Carol, or uh, Lewis Carroll and writing Through the Looking Glass, uh, Alice in Wonderland, um, those are very, very political books that mm-hmm. many people just don't seem to understand. Yeah. That's what they are. They're very political. So many times, I mean, going all the way back to Nostradamus, he had to write in code so that, you know, he wasn't going to be hanged for what he wrote, (laughs) which is kind of interesting. So we have a whole lot of repression, but at the same time, we have monopolistic tendencies of our government. I mean, I'm going to give you, you're running for Senate, and I'm going to give you $50,000, but what I need from you is this bill that's going to stop all of my competitors from keep competing, say, in the energy markets uh, or in anything else that will help people. It's, and government gives you a monopoly saying you can't do this unless you get a license from us, and you'll never get a license from them. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. Uh, it's a big, you know, shake-up. And I'm, the frustration I think all libertarians feel is that we should be able to be left alone our government should be a servant. It is our janitor. Its job is not to be more convenient for them so they can catch bad guys. I mean, the idea of throwing a net over all of us to catch a few of us is absurd. Uh, but, but many people buy into it. Say, well, if you've got nothing to hide, you've got nothing to fear. And I'm saying, I've got nothing to hide. It's just none of your business. Mm. And that's where it really, the rub comes in, is it's nobody's business what you do in private it's nobody's bit unless you're harming another person or their rights there's absolutely no reason anybody else that you have to share that with the world peaceful law-abiding people have a right to be left alone Um, exactly and and you speaking of business and you have said that 
you know, you would, you're for in favor of eliminating all personal income tax and real estate and property tax because they're That's institutional right. and they impede the due function of the government of the people in America. No, it's not that at all. It's okay, why? Because they are yours. Well, they there's are that. not anybody else's. They are not subject to any kind of mass rule. That's the beauty of, of what America was all about, was that your rights trump everybody else. If everybody else hates what you've done, it doesn't matter if you had a right to do it. It doesn't matter. Right. And their opinion, that's what gave us the strength of the power of the individual in America and what made us the most unique nation on earth. There's never been another nation like us, not before us, not, not since where the people have actually owned their government. Mm -hmm. and, and I heard our wacko friend, uh, Russell Brand, he actually said something the other day that was interesting. Who's Russ Brand? I'm sorry, uh, set up. Who is Russell Brand? Russell Brand is a, come a British comedian kind of guy. I don't particularly like him, uh, but okay. he, does, he is really bright. And he screams for different rights. He's a little more liberal than I would even consider being. Mm -hmm. But his whole point was that he says, hey, we have got a queen. We've got a cartoon character running our country who has absolutely no right to be there. And yet we pay millions and millions of pounds every year for their existence. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that he actually had made such a great, great point that uh, I had to give him some credit. Uh, whereas I particularly don't, I don't particularly like him. I don't like his style of comedy. I don't particularly like him or his thoughts. But he was right. Well, money currency is intrinsically political, Mister Hess. So I think I, I can't. I mean, it's it's essentially partisanry. Um, you know the the uh, you know if I'm an independent currently. Okay. All right. Sure. So. So, um, I mean, I do think that the American, I mean, I'm an, I'm an American, you know, right. I'm an American journalist. I'm an American journalist, novelist. I could go on. I'm into, I'm, I like intellectual tools. I like ideal. I'd like to think in terms of, you know, ideological concepts is interesting for me. I'm working on a thesis for graduate school you know, proposals for philosophy departments. Okay. So I'm all about a, a you know, assembling with people who I uh, have similarities with and see eye to eye with and with whom I can work very fortuitously with. And I'm all about incorporating that to where it can be represented by a, a common currency that we share. I'm so happy that, you know, that the, 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 the dollar is a bullish thing because Mostly what I am is ideas and thoughts. You know, I'm an, I'm, an, I'm an intellectual. So I'm all for, I'll tell you, the dollar is very bullish. I can be very easily talked into investing in it, especially with people who I like or am attracted to or get along well with or agree with politically or share the same kind of, you know, logistical ley lines with respect to feed stock for the family or energy, you know. But... Under a gun, that's different. Because we said so, because I'm in charge of you, that's not, that's not right. So, and I'm very easily convinced to pay ante up to nearly anything 
You know what I mean? But, but at the same time, philosophically, and I think people just tend to misunderstand the libertarian. I mean, it's a, you know, it's an historically well-known. I think it, it comes down to a situation where we've got, you know, people are put upon to help understand, help people understand what they're thinking with respect to, you know, reset, if you will, in the, the at-large dialogue politically. I mean, money is politics. How would the party, I mean, how do you, how do we, how do, does the Libertarian Party or how do people who are individualists approach this sort of idea, this sort of discussion about taxes and money in the mainstream dialogue without alienating people and at the same time trying to educate them and, 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 and maybe find purchase and put some legs on a statement like you made last time we talked where you would, if it were up to you, you'd do away with the property taxes and the income taxes, both state and federal. How? It's simply an act of will. It just somebody has to stand up and do it. Yeah, there's going to be flack. Of course there is. <coughs> but if you're not willing to take on the fight, then you should shut up and sit in the back. Uh, and, and that's really you know, because you get in the way of everybody else. But if you're willing to take on the fight and say, look, let's set things right. Let's set it honest. You get rid of the income tax all by itself you are going to eliminate 95% of the problems that we have in this country and 95% of all the bitching and moaning that goes on just by eliminating one thing because you will not have to look over your shoulder. It is the one thing that everybody in America feels fears is the IRS is going to come back on them. And they all know that no matter how well they did it, no matter how meticulously they applied all the logic, that something can be found wrong in their filing. It's just something waiting to be used against them if their voice should get too loud. I mean, anytime you get these major protesters and people who are starting to make waves, the IRS is the first one to come in and try to distract them from whatever they're doing by, you know, all kinds of litigation and crap. Uh, but they will come in and they'll be used as the tool to stop you from what you are doing, mm -hmm. even though the two are not related. So that when you can approach people on a level and say, look, just to be honest, we can't go steal from your neighbors because you want something. So, And then once people have accepted that very simple premise that theft is still theft, even by government, even if they come with a gun, and even if they say it's for the children, it's still theft. And we cannot <coughs> allow theft in our government because that is what sets the standard for the rest of the country. I mean, the it's first thing that would happen would be that we put together a fund where, like, basically the Libertarian Party pools its funds. It's like, well, you know, we don't, we don't want to get rid of the income tax successfully, but we need operating capital, you know. In terms of oh well, you, there, was, there was more to my plan. I provided for all of the functions of government and then some. Well, uh, because we would have a simple, flat, no deductions, no exceptions, retail sales transaction tax of mm -hmm. nine point nine percent is what I promoted. Because yeah. uh, God asked for ten percent, we ain't going to even approach God. Now, yeah. come on, uh, that's stupid. People have different gods. You don't want to end up kissing the wrong glove. Right. Exactly. Uh, and so that what we all know that honesty is that if it's equally applied and it cannot be changed and exceptions cannot be made and loopholes cannot be crafted, then we've got an honest system. And the sad part, Chris, is that that plan, because it would turn the legislators' view uh, completely 180 degrees from where now they are promoting monopolies, 
if they were had to operate on money coming from transactions and from business, they would have to go with the free market so that they and they, they ostensibly our projections showed they would actually have four to five times as much money as they have now in order to operate with. So it's not a matter of money, it's not a matter of letting people starve. It's not a matter of any of the, the boogeymen that people bring out of the woodwork. And, and, and I know many people said to me, well, well, then you'd have all these people, you know, who are dependent on all these government programs. They'll starve. And, yes, they're going to, by the way, as it is now, because our, I do not agree with you. I'm a currency trader, by the way. The dollar is not bullish. It is losing value like crazy around the world, and many countries are refusing to accept it. It should be I mean, bullish. What? It should be and bullish. And if it isn't, yeah, something's it wrong. It should be, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, no question about it. We should, we should be gold-backed or intrinsically backed currency, not just Janet Yellen you know, saying, here's what we're going to do with the dollars. The manipulation is phenomenal. And if people lived under a system where there was no inflation, because many people don't understand inflation. I talked to an economics professor, you know, had the little leather uh, patches on his sleeves of his jacket and the whole nine yards. <laughs> and this idiot was flapping on about how much he knew, and he was an economics professor at a, an Ivy League school. And so I popped into the conversation. I said, hey, you know, you sound like a pretty smart fella. What, what is that inflation stuff? And he looked at me and looked down his nose a little bit and said, that, why, that's when the prices go up. And I said, well, that's interesting. Why do prices go up? And he was really exasperated with me because I was interrupting his flappery. Uh, and he said, well, that's because of inflation. And I said, and you're an economics professor and you don't understand circular logic. You moron. <laughs> and, and I said, no, let me, let me tell you what inflation is. Inflation is the lessening of the value of the unit of currency that you're trading with. So that it took 10 uh, units of Federal Reserve fake notes. It took 10 units to buy you dinner uh, last year. Now it takes 20. It's not because the price mysteriously went up of any of the goods involved in the manufacturing and whatever had to take place for you to have your dinner. It's because the government has has printed up more money so that uh, it waters down the value of everybody, all the money you have in your pocket or your bank account. It is theft of the highest order is what inflation is, <coughs> and it is all generated from the Federal Reserve. And, I mean, and it's simple economics. If you have an entire economy of 10 units, let's just make it easy, mm -hmm. 10 units. Now, 10 units that are backed up by goods and services in the marketplace. So you have a, a sound currency unit. Now you get the Federal Reserve to say, hey, we need some more money. We're just going to go ahead and print up another uh, 10 units of, uh, for this economy. Now your economy has 20 units, but it only has 10 units of value and services in the marketplace. So that means it's going to force the cost of those uh, goods and services up. Tw you now need twice as many in order to buy the same thing. Mm -hmm. That's how economics works. It's very, very simple. So that when we run, like this year, they're running, a, five, is it 500 billion? It's an astronomical number that we, the government, is inuring a debt of, of hundreds of billions of dollars every year. Well, where's that money come from? 
Me. It comes from them printing up another <laughs> many billions of dollars out of the air. It has no value. And so that goes into the overall economy, and after the first person gets to use it, by the time it hits the second or third, third person as the money keeps going on its little trip around the world, it has lost so much value that the little guy, you put $10 in your mattress that took you five hours to earn 20 years ago. That was five hours of your, your, your life minutes. And that's what money is. In my view, Time. money is the memorialization of the life minutes it took you to earn it. Mm -hmm. Because life minutes are the only limited quantity on earth how long you get to live so that you don't know how much how valuable they are you might have a lot of time might not have you know any time and that's what it is is a memorialization of the time it took you to earn it so now your your five hours that you put in to earn your ten dollars twenty years ago now is worthless it's only worth about fifteen minutes of your work time that's what's being stolen from people their labor and this is what government does when it prints up these fiat currencies. That there's no, that's the only So if it's a fiat currency, do they need to tax the people? Or they it? Shouldn't. And I always so caution people about calling the government they when it's actually we, us, me, I, you, it's I. It's supposed to be we, but it is they. It's, uh, you're, you're well, in, this, in the paradigm that you're describing that's gone off the erroneous protocol, yes, it would have uh -huh. to be they. Yes, sir. I get you there. Yeah, I, I mean, it, but you're right. The way it should be is a peaceful, logical, very sound, stable foundation. The problem is we're not allowed to stand on that foundation. Well, I have a question about foundation here in terms of civil rights. Um <clears throat> And this, this kind of bring it back home. You're talking, I mean, there are factions of people. Partisan politics is one of the uh, farm teams for uh, government insider cottage industry, whereby we had a decision, um, Obergefell versus Hodges, the U.S. Supreme Court last year, that held that same-sex marriage bans at a state level are unconstitutional. It was a 5-4 holding. If there had been one other, the swing vote had gone another way, there would have been, you know, the, the ruling would have held that states can ban. Well, philosophically, if the state comprises three families living on an oil rig and they want to ban same-sex marriage because nobody's a homosexual, then it wouldn't be unconstitutional. But if you call something... You know, if if you're legislating from the federal bench that, you know, then then it draws into question what was already obvious in terms of civil liberty. People can assemble as they see fit. They can they can put their Legos together however they want to. That's First Amendment. So it, I don't think I think that's either is that's a, that's a media trick, bunch of nonsense. And that's what the highest court in the land is discussing. We're talking about foundational issues. At least half of the most august jurists in the United States of America don't get the most fundamental, basic constitutional question. I mean, that should be that. You would think that would be a case they wouldn't hear. Now, can a state 
If you do, however, if on your oil rig, which were our hypothetical state, you do have homosexuals, well, then the state can't make a ban on it because that's unconstitutional, you know, encroaching on their rights. That's a philosophical thing, too. So, but it just seems that for them to go so far as to come out and have to say the thing, maybe, and maybe they've been stampeded into the decision. I mean, maybe it is obvious to people who have. It you know, who know better. With someone who probably was amongst the most intelligent of presidents, but he was also a tyrant. Uh, and that was Abraham Lincoln, yeah. was the destruction of states' rights. Because what the United States was supposed to be was a sovereign, voluntary collection of sovereign states. I, and I quickly, I bring it up as a foundational issue because we're talking about populations of people who don't understand currencies and economies and finance. Just like we're talking about, you know, with respect to basic fundamental functioning principles, and we're all having to cohabitate with people who understand less so than maybe some of us do. The same goes for the encroachment of individual and states' rights. Now, I've interrupted you, Abe Lincoln. He was in states' rights. Please go ahead. He destroyed states' rights by saying that it was not a voluntary union. And in fact, it is a voluntary union. The states do have more authority than the federal government. Uh, and yet, these days, it's turned back backwards. It used to be the power derived from the individual based on their notion of God or, or higher being or whatever. Uh, then they would tell the state government what to do, and then the state government would tell the federal government what to do. And today, it's completely backwards, where you've got the feds telling the states telling the individuals to do and the notion of god or the concept of any kind of spirituality mm -hmm. is completely left out of the equation and that's uh, that's a very scary place to be at the same time i find that often in churches the administration is ostensibly secular and oh, is functioning and i find also in government that the administration is ostensibly religious it is about as never it is about as mutually exclusive as i can find any better i can't find a better example of mutual exclusivity exactly the opposite of how it's supposed to be well you've got to be bigger uh then your ideas have to be bigger than your own human failings uh it's like a uh, george washington and thomas jefferson they both famously were slave owners yet they both subscribed to this document that said all men are created equal mm -hmm. they're in creating some form of hypocrisy obviously but the thing that I admire about them is that they did put a time limit on it because, you know, back in those days, they had to take other political considerations into account. And back in those days, your slaves were much like your, your farm equipment. That was your tractor. Yep. That was, you know, so there were all the business interests saying, hey, you can't just tell me I can't have my farm equipment anymore. Uh, and, and so they, they put upon him, they said, okay, here, we're going to give you, a, like, nine years uh, to, to free all of your slaves. And that was the big problem. That was the one sticking point, of course, uh, on the Constitution. They knew that their ownership was wrong. Now, I will say in their defense, only because I've done extensive history on these guys, um, that they believed, and I, I firmly of the opinion that they believed they were doing their slaves a favor by not freeing them into the rest of the world that did not see them as free people so that they could keep them here and they all they fed and clothed they weren't beaters of people and all that stuff
Well, there was the extant political geography that was two-hand, and you've got to deal with what you have two-hand, not what you wish you had, and that was 200-some-odd years ago, and things were weird then. And in terms of indenturing people and their being peonage today, there most undoubtedly is peonage today. Well, look at what they're trying to do today. They're bringing back slavery in the sense of saying that reparations must be made to this generation who had nothing to do. Only 11% of the black people in this country even have slaves that were ever their relatives. Mm. So a very minor, minor number. But they want reparations just because of the color of their skin. They never suffered. They certainly, you know, they say, well, my family would have been further ahead if my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparent hadn't been a slave, then we would have been right there with you white folks. That is, we don't know that. There's no way to know that. Got a question uh, for you now. I'm sorry. Finish your sentence. I'm I'm jumping around here. (laughs) No, so that when we see it, I I mean, to think that I would be liable, having no relationship to anybody that I know of who owns slaves, that I'm liable to people because somebody else made somebody slaves, I'm not buying that. The sins of the father shall not be visited upon the son. But they do, unfortunately, and they do through government because of the religious hold on government that we observe today. Um, does the Libertarian well, in Party... Cases, uh-huh. I, I, in many cases, it's pseudo-religionism. And I will just mention that having met the head of Mossad, which is the internal security force for Israel, I was shocked to find out when this gentleman told me he was an atheist. Mm-hmm. And he said most of the, the top council of 12 or whatever it is, they are atheists also. And yet they're running a country that ostensibly is founded upon religious precepts and, and it's it's nonsense doesn't surprise me at I, I all see, not in the current not in the current right. climate it doesn't surprise me one bit i see like i mentioned a lot of the a lot of the the uh people are having to serve as a capo station for religious groups you know that they, they have to be because their they their 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 judgment their their objectivity is not as clouded i mean hey secularism is a religion Dogma okay. is dogma. You know, religion more broadly defined certainly encompasses secularism. It's, you know, the ideals thereupon, however, sacrifice first, you know, certain dogmas before they'll sacrifice others. Uh, you know, and uh, <clears throat> it's a philosophical thing. I don't mean to get into it too bad. Um, foreign policy, you're talking, you've jumped over to the Middle East. Does the Lutheran par- Party have a, a, a foreign party to speak of at a national level? Policy? Or is that beyond the technical purview of the Libertarian Party? Did you mean policy or party? Uh, does, does, oh, did I say party? Does it have a foreign policy platform? Uh, yeah, of course we do. And it's George Washington's. It's that we don't meddle in the internal affairs of other countries. We have goodwill toward all, and we have open and free trade with all. Now, if somebody does something, if another country does something that we find odious, we simply stop trading with them. Yep. That, that is the foreign policy. That's now, political speech. Is, and, and here's what many people don't understand, is that if you put that pressure on the business community of other countries who do want to do business outside of their borders, then uh, they will keep their own government in line. I, I guarantee you, they're going to keep their own government from trying to, from costing them money, because thank God for capitalism. It's the only thing that keeps the world going. Uh, the, and the capitalism, incidentally, is just 
the participation in the market for profit. What if the currency turns out to be, Barry, what if the currency turns out to be cocaine or heroin? Well, I don't know what you mean. Well, How could that be possible? I, well, I mean, as, as an object of value, um, so, I mean, I think on a black market, you know. Okay. Like, what if, what if the, the cocaine is more powerful as an idea, let's say, in South America than the United States dollar? Let's say, if it's politically less popular, therefore politically less tractable as a currency, even, the, you know... I mean, some people, you know, you know, their chattel laws. People were essentially goods and could be exchanged interchangeable, interchangeable for right. currencies, if you will. So you mentioned for you know regards foreign policy, um, and we're talking about political or economic pressure, if you will, or or lack of enfranchise, you know, if, with with foreign countries which with whom we don't wish to do business. There's the black market to think of that has historically been pronounced enough, for example, in the Western Hemisphere with respect to the war on drugs, that it it starts wagging the dog with respect to the currency. So that's a foreign policy issue here on, on, on the Western Hemisphere at, with respect to cocaine, for example. Um, I mean, I live in a border don't community. Care. Uh, we don't care what people would exchange in their own country. If they want to exchange with us, it's got to be into the form of a valuable currency or commodity for us. Sure, but the... But the deal with them well but the but the but the but the united states formal policy nafta whatever you want to call it war on drugs nevertheless impacts international trade in narcotics sure it does and that's why we should get rid of them and it ends up and that black market trade influences dollar policy it, you know so i think that i think that's what the dollar loses its hegemony and you've got the heroin and opium in the middle east and i think that's part of an issue that's an issue there where even though we don't recognize that as a proper currency it nevertheless is for a lot of the people who the united states government is intervening with overseas sure that's why opium production in afghanistan has gone up when we when our forces got there they were providing 40 percent of the heroin for the rest of the world Right. And now they're producing 90% because right. our troops are over there protecting them. And their thought is behind it politically. This is how stupid these administrations have been. They said, okay, uh, we're all against the drugs. Now, and, and I, have, I, I think we ought to eliminate the drug war completely and let people have their right to be stupid if they want to use those things. But the whole reasoning is we've got our government saying, oh, opium and heroin is bad, 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 and we've got to get rid of it. But then... There's a huge demand from it here. We've got to protect it, it because it's the only means of income for the people in those regions. <sighs> and so that now we've got to protect it. Rather than helping them transition into a more productive or something that... Uh, vocation, and not to say, I, I don't care if they produce heroin or not none of my business uh, what they do and how they exchange it but realistically those things will never ever become a commodity uh, or they, they are, will always be a commodity they will never ever be money because they can be consumed and, and that's I mean you can still have money that can be consumed yeah. but it would never be something that where they said okay that's going to cost you 12 pounds of heroin if you want whatever we have that we also made over here in Afghanistan, and, and we'd say, well, sorry, we can't deal with you, we're done. 
Well, and it's I think I think American fiscal policy does influence the the drug uh, market is what I'm trying to the narcotics marketing and the crop. What is, what does the L, does the LP have an opinion on NAFTA? A position yeah, absolutely eliminate it. Yeah. We don't believe in any kinds of you entangling alliances with none. What would happen and if NAFTA were vacated? Nothing except that the United States would then be able to compete again. NAFTA ties our hands. What would happen in border communities if, with, if NAFTA were eliminated? What do you mean? What, what, in terms of what would happen? If, if you eliminated NAFTA today uh, and it was all gone... Well, the border is essentially militarized, I guess is what I'm saying. And, the, and part of the reason why it's militarized is in response to the drug trafficking that's rampant here. Right. To get rid of the drug problems, you don't have to worry about people coming across our border. It's the whole fear of uh, foreigners that has gotten people. Uh, you know, and I'm now I got to separate them. I'm going to just say Mexicans. I'm not being racist or anything. I'm just saying because that's I want to talk labor, mm-hmm. not terrorizers. You know, sneaking into the country. That that's it. I'm just talking about the labor part. And people are afraid of that labor, saying they're stealing American jobs and blah blah blah. This is stupid thinking that has been imposed by the media of saying they're taking American jobs. They're going to come steal the Odelay show, Barry. Right. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is that they're talking about, uh, if you can imagine, a pie that has already been baked, and that's all there is. Well, if if that were the case, then yeah, somebody coming over taking jobs certainly would alleviate that uh, potential for somebody who was domestic. But the real economy is not a pie that is has a limited size. We want to bake a bigger pie. Mm. So there will be plenty of employment for everybody. This begs questions that I had regarding the space program. I think in our world, philosophically, we have the hegemony technologically and philosophically and in terms of science and engineering, to go as far as we want forever. But we can't build it on an opium crop. You know, we can't build it on aversion to progressive R&D in the energy sector. We live in Arizona, the sunniest, windiest place, arguably one of them, you know, we can think of. And I, you know, and, you know, we're not embracing it. This could be, this is, this is the future intergalactic port, you know? Right. And it should not be done by government. Well, there There's you no go. There's reason for government to do it. And yet you, you seem to think that government has some kind of higher uh, information on how to, how to get to outer space. In fact, it's already been shown by at least three major companies. I was there at one of the takeoffs for Spaceship One mm-hmm. uh, when it was the first privately funded um, adventure into space to show that you can do it individually. We don't need NASA. Well, and we don't do it with oil and gas either. We do it with, 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 with material science, nanotech, and we don't do it by beating our own terrestrial mount all to pieces over there where it's rich in oil in the Mideast. That's not the future. Right. That's as bad as the, as the, as the, as the opium you situation know, it, over there. It's so funny. People talk about libertarians. They go, well, you would get rid of the EPA. Yeah, you're damn tootin' we'd get rid of the EPA. They have no right to have any authority to tell us what to do. But what they neglect is the libertarian principle is very simple. You can do whatever you want to on your property. 
but you cannot pollute the common air, land, or water at mm. all beyond your property boundaries. Boundaries. If you do, you're fully liable. It's not a percentage. It's not an allowance of a little bit. It's not an allow carbon credits. That nonsense. It's none of that. It is you can't pollute beyond those efforts. We end up or beyond your boundaries. We end up being the greenest of the parties because we do protect the environment where it is going to be used to its best possible use and not, not the whims of some politicians like the Bundy Ranch. Find out there's uh, is it lithium or uranium under that land, and that's what they want to swap out. Uh, that's why they wanted the Bundy Ranch. <laughs> so they could swap out the land with foreign interests to mine the uranium or lithium, whichever one it is. I think it's, it's actually uranium. Lithium is in uh, Afghanistan. That's the real reason we went there. Um, many people don't even know. Well, that matters in terms of our intergalactic colonization. But, I mean, in terms of libertarian principles, I mean, and I always say that, I mean, I'm always cautious as a member of the media, if you will, like the director of this program, okay, and a writer, I guess is more accurately defines me now. I'm always very careful, and I've gone to great lengths not to be incendiary or scare people or, or turn over, you know, ideas that are half-baked or that, I vote, that are hearsay. So and in terms of libertarian principles, like, I'm always cons- – I, I don't want anything, you know, for you and I, for example, I mean, you're affiliated with the Libertarian Party. I'm an independent currently. Uh, I Little L, philosophically, I can, I can hear what libertarians are saying. I get – I, I like that. We're operating in good faith. We're trying. Our sure. opinions about how the United American government should work are based on long-tested philosophical disposition that was that's that's much of which stands the test of time. This is not. We're not dissidents. This isn't new. This is not even radical. It's right. one of the most conservative dispositions one can have. And one of the reasons it's that way is in order to make ensure that one philosophically ensure that one does no harm. So exactly, I don't. And as a media member, I have it weighs on me that I may misinform someone somehow or that I might be misunderstood. It's one of the reasons why this show is as long as I ever have let it go. Today it's nearly two hours, and we'll get off the phone pretty oh. soon. But okay. but you know, so that it's not a soundbite, people can hear. Two people having a conversation. I'm a generalist. I'm not an expert in much. There are certain things in which idea places in which I have expertise. For the most part, I'm just, but I'm just, I'm just your average like citizen. You have expertise in certain areas, but you're not an expert in everything. You have, a, you know. But we try. We're trying to discuss these things, and and in none of my speech today, you know, I want to try to clear the air here. I forget that people are combative when I'm not. I am not attacking anyone or any group. Okay, I'm not, a, you know, at all. I'm trying to help. Well, yeah, and you know what the problem is? And you are too, I think. It, you're part of it, and here's why. is because you're trying to mince your words. You're trying to be politically correct. And when you do that, you play into the hands of the, of the fear mongers because now you're afraid of what you say. I hate political correctness. And if people take... What well, I do, too. Wrong, I, I can't stand politically correctness. I think it's got a chilling effect that's horrible. But I do I get the sense that I have active... There's active agency that I have that it's, that's antagonistic to me. Now, 
does, sure. do I on the air or in writing or in colloquy with my associates ever really kowtow to the PC mode? No. And I, I reap the benefits or pay the price for it. I mean, I don't think you'll find me to be you know, cautious in that sense. In fact, my political disposition is lar- largely, if not entirely, a result of where I've been placed because of the things I've said, where for the most part, other people wouldn't have said them to the people they said them to. But that essentially yeah, defines my mindful. station. It's nothing against you. It's, it's That's part of the times. A lot of people are. I mean, I run into real, live, human being intellectuals and they still have to pick their words. And I'm going, you just mellow out, man. I, because if something deserves derision, which is usually the case when you're talking about political correctness, it deserves derision, damn it. You and know, I, there's no mincing yeah. that is going to make that different. Uh, and, and that's what they try to do is so well, I can tell you, I think you're a schmuck in the nicest possible way. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's, I think, is, is wasted energy yeah. because everybody's worried about playing the game rather than coming to an end result. Well, and I, I don't mean to equivocate. I guess what I'm trying to say is yeah. that we don't mean to mince words. And it, we may have an edge on our rhetoric here. But that's because we're trying to help and because part of the problem right. is the the politically pr- correct rhetoric that's prevailing, which is just a got cover. Just it's, it's a complete abuse of applied, implied consent, among so many other things. But anyone who wants right. to come on the show and speak frankly, like I, and I never, you know, I most of, you know, I, I'm what I try to protect myself from is being blindsided because I've learned that there are people who will blindside me. And they're not hearing us converse on the level that you and I are hearing each other converse. But anyone who wants to come on the show, any recommendations that you may have for your people, anyone you know, come on. Um, I mean, we we tend to have many things sort of in common here. At least we can communicate. We may be completely different. Um, but, yeah, but you shut down communications, you're a fool. You know, <laughs> I, I would never do it. My, the worst political – Janet Napolitano and I got along famously uh, off stage. On stage, it was political warfare. I had many people who said, I can't believe she didn't reach over and smack you when we were up on stage on a debate. Uh, but the good thing about Janet that I did appreciate, uh, not her politics by any stretch of the imagination. We are political opposites. She's a socialist. I am an anti-socialist. What do you think of Bernie Sanders? Pardon? What do you think of Bernie Sanders? You think he's the senator from uh, Delaware? Or is it? Pardon me? Where is he a senator? Is it Delaware? Uh, No, no, Vermont. Vermont, forgive me. And he he has been the wacko in the Vermont legislature for a long time. (laughs) But he's the, that's why you have, Vermont has some of the most lax gun control laws uh, on the planet, and a lot of people think Bernie has something to do with that. No, Bernie has voted against those things every time, but he's been the Ron Paul kind of in the Congress. He's the one vote, who want, except that he's the opposite of Ron Paul. He wants to enslave people, but the rest of the legislature just laughed at him and, and kept going. Well, like Mr. That's why he's a professional oh, politician, though. So oh, big time. I, I have, you know, and he's a certain... There's a certain he has a certain historical common law um, uh, standard that he's bearing there, as opposed to some of the GOP. Now, on the other hand, Donald Trump may be the only person who has actually functioned as a chief executive vocationally, and in that sense, his resume is the best out of anyone. I don't listen to really any of the rhetoric. 
I hear the Nation magazine talk about Bernie Sanders because when you're trying to herd cats, you kind of need somebody who's going to have you know lean pink a little bit because you got to have got to compromise. I think Donald is a fun entertainment uh, for entertainment value. He is nuts. He has no concept of the Constitution. Man literally has admitted he has never read the Constitution. <laughs> it's it, not it that long. Because, it's only a few and, pages. And he, right. And here's what his reasoning is. And incidentally, Donald is a very, very intelligent man. Donald he knows what he's doing. Some I, of his goofiness for any lack of intellectual I ability. Yeah. But he has exactly the wrong qualifications to become president of the United States, to become a public servant and representative. He is, he's good because his rhetoric talks about getting rid of the evil government that has surrounded us. So that's good, but his solutions are no better. He wants to impose tyrannical rule. He wants to be Abraham Lincoln all over again. Uh, and that's cool. You know, I think he's a joke. I, I, now, don't get me wrong. I've, I've done business with Trump. I respect him as a business. Well, cynical, just, cynical people in the United States think that Hillary Clinton is the joke. And that if she get put, get, is put into office, it's just another vote of no confidence. Uh, that the American people can't di- differentiate between automaton rhetoric and not. <laughs> right. Donald would be less dangerous, I think, just because he wouldn't get anything done and he'd, he'd be frustrated and stuff. He would leave people alone to a large part. Uh, so that I, I think he would, of the Republicans and Democrats, he would be the least destructive to Americans. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he wouldn't be any solution by any stretch of the imagination. Gary Johnson, for instance, he's not a very good speaker. Uh, neither was Ron Paul. But... What he says is so freaking powerful, and what he has done as a chief executive, as a governor, you know he vetoed more legislation in his terms as governor than all other governors combined during that same time. Over 730 vetoes that he did. Good work, and Governor. Walks the walk. Excellent. Uh, yeah, and, and, but Gary is kind of, he's, he's kind of a bad, he's not a good dynamic speaker. <coughs> I hope to help him with that. I don't know that I, I haven't supported him yet um, because I haven't been down to the convention and seen what's happening. But I believe he's going to end up with my support uh, just because he stands. He is a real live libertarian. Mm-hmm. He's a real one, not Bob Barr. He's, he's not any of these clowns that, you know, where libertarians are as subject to political nonsense as anybody. Gary who? Uh, in, Gary Johnson. That's the that's the uh, presidential He's candidate. One of the leading, yeah. Well, John McAfee, the guy who started McAfee Antivirus. Yeah. He's also running, and there are some other people that I don't know uh, who are seeking the nomination. But the fun thing that I'm looking forward to our convention is that we don't have coronations. In fact, when Bob Barr got the in 2004, we were up in Denver. I spoke just before the voting. And Bob Barr was going to sweep it, but it ended up having to go six rounds of balloting and some devious, underhanded political dealing between two of the candidates, Wayne Root and Bob Barr. It was the only reason he won by five votes out of thousands. 
So it was not a coronation. What you're going to see is going into the, and, and I think this time is only is going to be unique for both the Republicans and the Democrats, because I'll guarantee you here's how it is going to turn out, because the big boys have already determined it. Hillary is going to get the nomination, and so is Jeb Bush. They are going to win. Make no mistake about it. I'll, I've already I disagree. Seen. I think that's a cynical. Okay. I think that's cynical. Uh, you watch. Just watch what happens, and then we'll talk about it afterwards. That'll, because that's how this game is played. Like, I don't accept necessarily your process service as such. I'm not going to pay you for your prognostications today, Barry. <laughs> not on this okay, issue. But, well, no, there's a, there's a website called predictit.com. And I actually put some money on it a long time ago. And right now, the shares in my, my predictions have gone sky high. So I'm going to end up making some money on it. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, would, I don't know. I think that Mr. Sanders is the incumbent for the, the Democratic Party nomination. Hmm. And, and, you know, realistically, if and Jeb Bush is, two, he should be. I'm sorry? It, it, he should be if they had to pick one of the two. But that, it, what the voting electorate wants is not what happens. I don't know about that. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. And in terms of in terms of process service today, I will tell anyone listening, as we were discussing professional politicians, you're even better than a professional politician if you're not a professional politician. Very few professional politicians, very few, you can count them throughout history, the ones who've done it right. And in that sense, say hello to the faculty because they're still here because souls forever. And honesty and veracity is part of what contributes to a healthy, lasting soul. But right, um, consider this process service. You're all politicians because you're Americans. And it matters. Fair enough. And the more there are of us, then the more of us there are at which the buck can stop. Yeah, see, I think a lot of the problems in politics is people say, is it going to be Bernie or Hillary? I, and, and, you know, well, so, Bernie's not as bad or Hillary's not as bad as flap, 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 flap. The truth is neither freaking one of them is fit to serve in office. Not one of them. And that's true of the Republican field as well. Who not was the Libertarian one. candidate for the United States president in 2012, uh, Mr. Hess? Who was? Who was? Yes. Was it Bob Barr? Uh, no, 2012 was... Let me, I have to just kind of... Man, I'm playing area i just blanked out when you asked me that um boy, that was just a couple of years ago and I was how we forget huh yeah it may have been bob Barr. it was bob Barr. okay yeah, yeah. right yeah and it's just uh, or i thought that was 2008 what do you think of bob Barr? do you like him i uh, well, i've known bob for 20 years well, that's he good. is a neocon warmongering fear-mongering uh regular really? old guy who <laughs> he does understand libertarian politics he just sees that there's no way that a politician can gain any kind of advantage in a libertarian society wow. because they don't have the opportunity to make the deals that they have made. Who else competed for the where they've gotten? Who else competed for the libertarian nomination in 2012? Oh, we had Mary Ruart, uh, I think Lee Wright. Uh, we had a bunch of people. Uh, that were, eh, you know, kind of thrown in. And then we had our wackos. We all have our wackos. Um, but uh, there there were some credible candidates. I, I actually ended up giving a nominating speech for Mary, Dr. Mary Ruert. Mm. Um, and she would have been far better because I know her. I know her politics. Where's she from? I know she from? doesn't vary. 
It's sort of like, the, you know, the, I get people who say, yeah, but you're an extremist. You want everything all your way. You know, and, and I go, well, who other than an extremist would you want protecting your individual rights? Where's Mary Ruert from, Barry? Where's Mary Ruert from? Uh, I think she's from with, uh, somewhere in the Midwest. And where's Bob uh, Barr from? Texas. I've seen her all over the country. I don't know where she actually lives. What about Mr. Barr? Where is he from? Northeast? A- Atlanta. Atlanta. Okay. Mary. Hmm. <sighs> So, I mean, it, it's it's really, really interesting because when people think about it and they go, yeah, that's I do want an extremist. I want somebody who won't back up when it comes to my individual rights and protecting them, which is the sole function of government, is to protect the rights of, and property of the individual, period. I, I, I mean, it has some functions it was appointed to do uh, in order to carry those out. There are 18 things that the government is supposed to be involved in and that's all, when you're guarding the border, toting the mails, and getting the hell out of everything else, basically. Mm-hmm. But now they're involved in about 1,100 different aspects of our lives, and they have no authority to be there. Not in abortion, not in health care, not in taxation. Not, I mean, it just goes on and on and on of all the things that we've let this incrementalism happen. And so people say, well, then we've got to just kind of gradually undo these things. And I'm saying, no, not at all, because it's like peeling an onion. You know, when you peel it, it just gets stronger and stronger as you get deep down into the damn thing. It gets stronger, so the resistance as you try to peel off those layers gets more. You've got to cut its head off right now, today. Say, today, everybody's going to start being honest. You know, today, everything is going to change. Uh, and today, all of that is done. That's the only way it's ever going to happen. And it's going to happen. It is going to happen. I can see that. Um, but it, it's not going to happen all at, uh, overnight, but it will happen all at once. And you'll see what happens. I, I know what's coming because I've seen it happen in about 14 countries. And, and it really breaks my heart to think that my America, that I grew up in, we were the white hat guys. We were the good guys. We were the ones with the honesty and the integrity and the innovation. Not anymore. Now we even got a freaking president who wants us to be like every other country on earth. Instead of being an example for them, we're supposed to be like them. The only way to avoid that is through libertarian principles and understanding Absolutely. that it's up to you. Put your hand on your heart. It is up to you or it. You are individually, each of and every one of you are where the power lies, and you are the last saving grace that there can be for freedom, and it only dies when it dies in you. So, And to the extent that we have to be responsible with our vote, because what's killed this country is straight-ticket voting. <clears throat> uh, the people who think that everybody who signed up in their club is good people. And that's, and I've asked people, I've said to Republicans, have you ever met a rhino? Oh, yeah, I can name it. And they give a list. And I go, but when you voted straight ticket, you voted for these creeps. Oh, well, yeah, okay. I go, see, see how irresponsible that is? And the whole point is, if you, if you are a responsible, honest voter, and you don't know or can't vouch for any candidate in any race, it is your obligation to write in NOTA, none of the above, for that race. Now, if you do support a candidate, let them know. Uh, And if all people did that, 
if we outlawed straight ticket voting, for instance, and people had to think about each race, what you would find is these candidates, these uh, politicians who think they've got 50 or 60 percent of the population behind them, uh, in, in terms of that's the kind of votes they got, you would see people voting for individual candidates, and you'd see it drop to 8, 9, 10 percent. Obama never had more than 11 percent of the vote in this country. I write in, sometimes I'll write in precinct committee instead of NOTA. Which just means bring it, Mickey Mouse. Bring it local. Well, you know what I? I'll tell you what I did on the state election in 2014. I wrote in the theoretical physics professors at ASU and U of A for a bunch of go. like the judges and stuff who I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, for what you want, you should vote for what you want. That is my point. Well, I was con- I concerned that people who are you know I just because you're on the ballot doesn't mean you belong there. <clears throat> doesn't mean you came by it honestly, or you know, or you could do a good job at it. Um, but, and I'll say this also, I say this to people who are in recovery, you know, life hurts when you're feeling pain. That's yes, that's how it is, but that's what it's like to be alive. And I'll say that about politics right. as well. It's a, right. the, the dream doesn't die unless it dies within you. Now, does that mean you're not going to encounter some of the biggest shitheads in the universe when you go out and try to make <laughs> a change for the better? No. In fact, I can pretty much guarantee it's going to happen and that's going to hurt your feelings and it's going to be very disheartening and it's going to cause you to lose faith in humanity it's going to cause you to study more sociology about how to deal with different groups of people in a society cohabitating where you can't really otherwise suffer any good reason to have them at all period but at least you're doing that instead of making war and you're going to encounter some serious nonsense and you're going to encounter some horrible attitudes and you're certainly going to encounter some very basically non-egalitarian, non-libertarian, basically in bad faith operations, people are going to think of you as an enemy. And that's tough. But, as I said earlier, think of this as process service. Because it is insofar as you want it to be. It's because it's true. You are it. You are an American. And therefore, you are as much American politician as any American politician, particularly any professional politician. Okay? Because you... So know that, You know what's funny is... I, I have a presence on Facebook, and I have noticed. Told, have noticed. I, I can't. I can't even get people in because there are so many people on the line. To, you know, if one drops off, another one fills in, and they only give you. Like I'll hold on to you with all, with great grasping, and not let go of it. The the interesting thing is, is that there are people from all stripes on there. Our legislators, national uh, politicians, local politicians, some of them under assumed names, which is really funny. But I know who they are, and uh, it, we can all talk, and, and it's, I think that's what people have appreciated. I'm willing to talk about anything. You want to talk about crazy conspiracy stuff, I'm, I'm your guy. Yeah, I'll talk about it. I don't care. There's you no are a fiction yet. writer, of course. You, you need yeah, to have totally. that. It's important. And it's, and it's important, but oh, there was something I wanted to uh, mention. When you were talking about Donald Trump. He the Odelay show is on, is on Facebook as well, by the way. Go ahead, Donald Trump. Oh, good. He, uh, he has exactly the wrong skill set to be president. And I say that because he is a great businessman, and what businessmen do is they learn how to bring in more money. That's what they do, just like Doug Ducey here in, in Arizona. He's a nice guy. I like Doug. Uh, I don't like all of what he's done. He's done some good things, though, I have so to say. Back to our uh, conversation about inflation, though. That's yeah. what you say would happen with... with uh, right. But see, what a politician should be the guy who spends money <clears throat> like it's his own, very frugally. 
mm-hmm. worries less about where it's coming from and more about where it's going to. So you're talking about opposite skill sets to do them successfully. Uh, it, it, in, when I say successfully, I mean ideally, mm-hmm. you know, really, how it's supposed to be done. Uh, you know, for their own measures, they, sure, they're successful. They, they make deals with contractors to get government contracts so that they can get uh, a little something on the back end. And they always do. Well, there's a right way to do it wrong, and there's a wrong way to do it wrong. And the right way to do it wrong is what we call the fucking right way. Uh-huh. I mean, hey, yeah, the currency I, I is just, just a concept. So it's not uh-huh. wrong to think. You know, uh, you know ideas are ideas. So mm. when one isn't working, try a new one. So I think right. we're, we're put upon, I mean, that's another thing, as thinkers and as people who give more than, you know, an hour to the issue. We, re- we really are, and I fault myself on this, I tend to, you know, I start talking fast and get excited and I read a lot and can't be understood. People tell me, like, your words you use are too big and you tend to preach. And, like, I, I, I get, you know, that's because the words that my professors used were too big and they tended to preach and so i have their that's this that's that's my access to the socratic method you know that's my yeah, aristotelian well, coming out of it yeah. and you can correct what needs to be corrected whether you do or not is is the tell yeah well that's what tells to keep me at almost under two hours is a feat and you have nearly done so today <laughs> uh, and I wouldn't. Well, I've always said brevity is not a word found in the libertarian dictionary. God, it just just goes on forever. But I'm of the opinion you mentioned that time is a finite thing, and forward thinking that I am, I I'm operating under the uh, the assumption that I'm not going to run out of time. So, um, well, that will close it up for today. This has been the um, Odelay Show for February 18th, 2016. Brought to you by, in part, by. The most recent novel by Barry Hess, The Peacemonger, which is a sci-fi, fantasy, futuristic <clears throat> novel of fiction by the... Well, you can also get it up on Amazon, That's but it right. has its own website, which is www.thepeacemonger.com, all one word. As opposed, uh, And you can read about it and see a little bit of taste and see if it's something you think you'd like. As opposed to The Warmonger, it's The Peacemonger. Also, today's show... Uh, brought to you by Brazewell Communications Publishing, fiction and non, written by yours truly, and uh, private investigators whom I'm very intimate with, as well as third-party contracts, which I am glad to say I've got a couple this year. I have uh, a manuscript from a guy up on Florence and Death Row, and I have one of the local organizations here who wants me to do a prose anthology for them, two more novels in the can, and one thesis proposal under wraps and being cooked up right now we'll see how that turns out so uh contact you know, the odelay show I'm at about to, the, the book i'm about to come out with which is called the history of the promethean society uh-huh. uh, is actually i, I think it's going to be a, it's going to be a big one i've actually got some hollywood people looking at it that's very robert anton wilsonian sounding title um, it, it's a good one um, I, it's a good story and i'll tell you it's it's a lot. It was a lot of fun putting it together. Now I'm going through my 14th rewrite. Uh, but you know, I, I'm one of those pretty anal people. Well, all writing is rewriting. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It, I I hearken back to what uh, Ernest Hemingway said. He said, "Write drunk and 
edit sober. Yeah, well, <laughs> and I don't drink, by the way. Yeah, so this this half of my the rest of my life will be all editing. Uh, contact the Odelay Show at five one eight four zero zero two seven two nine if you would like to be on it. If you would like for me to carry content on it, advertise your service or product or idea. Always looking for interesting, novel, aesthetic people, political people, whatever. As uh, so, uh, tune in next time, and uh, remember that uh, change starts from within, and that's the first place and best place to seek truth is from within. Thank you, Mr. Hess, for coming on the show today. Appreciate it. Thank you.